today? Yeah, you are inside air-conditioned space. That's a huge win. That one of the things you'll see at our annual report tonight, in our annual report at our congregational meeting, is that was actually an upgrade that we did a few months ago, both in the kids' building and in here, was replace old air conditioning units. Praise God. <laughs> so we are grateful for that. Well, we just want to say we welcome you, especially if you're a guest here today at Trinity Church. So glad that you're here. And um, what you find yourself, we find ourselves in today, we're in week four of a series called Playlist. We are looking through different psalms throughout the summer. And what we're doing is we're, we're hoping for this goal. God, you've given us the psalms. You've shown that, you are a, that we are a singing people, a, a praying people. That's what the psalms are. And you've given them to us so that we might find ourselves in them. So we might understand these are the things we can relate to, the kinds of things we've been looking at in this series you have felt, you have walked in, you understand. So it's not as though we're trying to say, please try to relate to this, you already get it. So within that context, we're now saying, God, not just the situations that we have a connection to, God, we want to respond. We want to respond like your people did, and therefore the tagline, aligning our responses with the Psalms. We want to sing and pray the Psalms in the same heartbeat, in the same attitude that the psalmist had. So we're really glad that you're here today. If you have a Trinity this week, you have some notes like this in there if you want to get those out. If you have a Bible today, book Bible, electronic Bible, if you want to make your way to Psalm 130, Psalm 130 is where we're going to be today. I wanted to say as well, uh, just appreciate very much, I know you are a praying people and you were looking at a fire that was above us. We are grateful that more structures weren't lost up in Forest Falls and especially a strategic partnership that we have with Forest Home. The camp was well preserved and we're just grateful for firefighters, grateful for rain that came yesterday that was kind of a turning point in that whole fire. So very grateful for that and we just love those guys up there. We have our fall reunion we'll be looking forward to in September. And I just love very much the connection with them. So grateful for you today. And as we dive in today, as we are thinking about this, I, I want to connect a, a thought. One thing I told you a couple weeks ago was that um, I had put together, when I was kind of on a journey, um, putting together some ideas in the Psalms, I just came up with a list called this category. I just made it my own categories of Psalms. It's obviously not academic. It's just some way to help you have boxes, as it were, to put Psalms in when you are going through something, rather than going through 150 Psalms trying to find where that looks like. Instead, you have categories or themes that you can look at. This is available at the Welcome Center, or it's also available online. If you just go to our playlist series website or page within our website, this is available to download. So just want to make that available to you if it would be helpful. It's okay, obviously, if not. Um, what we're going to do today, we have actually been uh, made aware of a few different genres of psalms. Just like how songs have different genres of music, so the psalms have different genres related to feel, related to the attitude, related to the theme. We began in this series with a, a, the psalm that actually begins the whole book with such a keen connection to being rooted in God through his word. Then we looked at a psalm of lament, what we do when we are at the stage of groaning because of sorrow, regret, confusion, or fear. Last week, Hilke did a great job walking us through a psalm of confession. We understood the context of David just at the bottom of the bottom and saying, God, I know you can forgive and you alone. 
And today we find ourselves looking at a couple of Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T. I'll describe that in just a moment, what those, what those categories are. As we look today at these two in particular, what we're going to see, they have a common theme. And the common theme is where you put your hope. Remember, the Bible defines hope not as just um, uh, optimistic thinking. Okay, like, I hope it's not going to be hot today. Okay, well, you're wrong. It, you, you, that failed. But, but it, it's that idea. It's not just wishful thinking. It's a hope that says, God, I am confident of you. Not confident in circumstances, not confident in what my plan is, but I'm confident in you and your plan. And so that kind of confidence, that hope, we're going to see today, where is it we put our hope and how do we continue to put our hope in God? Because it's really not a one-time thing. We first come to Christ through faith, but then the things that we are trusting God for through the rest of our lives, we are consistently actively placing our patient hope in God. And both of these psalms work out of those themes. One, they use powerful images that I'm excited to look at with you today. One is the idea of watchmen keeping guard at night and desperately yearning for the sunrise, just like every parent of a newborn. I'm not sure for sunrise, just a nap would be a, a good win. But yearning for sleep, right, and just that sense of just, oh, God, let this end. The other image is that of actually a weaned child, meaning a child who's no longer uh, in, in a state of fear between meals, but instead knows and trusts its mother that you'll provide for me. I can wait till what's next. So both of these images we're going to look at a little bit today. Here's our now what idea. It's in your notes on the screen. Put your hope. Notice the activeness of that word. It's an active choice. Put your hope in God while you trust him in your waiting. Place your faith, your hope in God while you trust him and you're waiting. You're in Psalm chapter 130. This is what we read. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's a short psalm, just eight verses, but there is so much going on. Let's first talk about these songs of ascent. Look in your notes. The songs of ascent were a special group of psalms comprising Psalms 120 to 134. These have been in your Bible all along, and there's a chance at which you've read through. Often we don't just kind of read directly through the psalms. Even like the reading plan that I'm using, we'll be reading a passage of scripture and every day it's dropping in a psalm. There's 150 of them. And, and what you might not have noticed is this group, these 15 psalms called Psalms of Ascent. We know the authorship of a few of them. Four are ascribed to David, uh, one to Solomon, and the other 10 are anonymous. But in this, here's what you have to understand, which is so powerful when we begin to understand what these psalms were used for. These Psalms of Ascent were basically a, a collective understanding that when we go to the temple, when we go to Jerusalem for the three mandated festivals, the pilgrimage festivals within the Jewish calendar, 
And that related to Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles. And what that meant is that if you were a follower of Yahweh, wherever you lived in Israel, three times a year you would come to Jerusalem. And you would come, and even in tabernacles, you'd literally make your home there as a reminder of the people who wandered from um, Egypt to finally the promised land. But as you were there, here's the idea, here's the power of this image. The steps on the way up to the temple, they're the southern steps. I've never been to Israel, but in my study this week, the southern steps are probably one of the only things we have left from the temple of when Jesus was on the planet. 2,000-year-old steps, and it's more than these five in front of me. It was a sequence of a huge just uh, uh, entrance into the temple, tons and tons of stairs. And as the people, the Psalms of Ascent would be, imagine your family. Imagine your extended family. Maybe even your community from your village. You've all traveled together. And once you come to these stairs, you would begin to sing these songs. Fifteen songs you would make your way, and, and you would obviously do it at a relatively slow pace. But as you're doing it, look at the process. Look at even as we read the psalm we just did a minute ago. Fifteen songs that are connecting my heart to the heart of God. Think of the intentionality of that. Think of the incredible purposefulness of that, of getting my heart ready to approach God. Powerful, powerful image. Now, some of us, while we think that's really a pretty cool thing that God, God's people just kind of put that into uh, the, the, uh, the, the ritual, basically, of what they did, some of us would also say, yeah, but I wonder by the time you're 30, right? You've been doing this your whole life. I wonder by the time you're 30, you're just kind of like, ho-hum. You know, we're just kind of going through the motions because the reason why you think that is because you and I do that through rituals, the last time you said the Pledge of Allegiance, you might have been very ho-hum and just kind of walked your way through it. Nationalistic connection to, versus that to God, totally different, but you get my point. We can just become very ho-hum about things. But here's the thing I want you to catch. This is, the, to me, the power of what they did and why they did it. Think of this idea instead so much of being just this ritual they went through. Think of the way that you actually connect to certain things also, certain uh, times of the year through song. Whether it be Christmas carols, here at Trinity Church, our entire month of December is pretty much devoted to songs that keep reminding us that God came among us incarnationally to save us. Or maybe just a holiday, we, we celebrated this last week on the 4th of July. No, no matter where you were, if you were at a particular one of the fireworks shows, or if you were illegally blowing stuff up in your own backyard, <laughs> you probably turned on music. I know for us, we took in the Ukaipa show this year at the high school and we kind of went and parked on a, a ledge up above so we could see. And undoubtedly, Jackson was with us and he's our family DJ. So he starts getting out his phone and he used one of our wireless speakers and he's playing all these different patriotic songs. Somehow, in his own twisted sense of humor, we landed on Yankee Doodle Dandy for most of the time. I think there were about 17 versions of the song we got to listen to. But the point is, is that we're thinking not just of bombs bursting in air, we're connecting the dot to our nation's birthday and to our freedoms. That's what we do with reminders. That's what we do with songs. So I want you to see this. The first century Jewish culture recognized the necessity of reminders and repetition. 
They recognize this is actually a very purposeful thing. The need, watch this, the need of rehearsing truth when the world around them countered God's word at every step. Reminding ourselves, reminding ourselves, reminding ourselves of the character and the truth of God when we live in a culture that lives so contrary. So in your notes, what was true then remains true for us. Without simple reminders, we would forget essential truths. Without simple reminders, we would forget essential truths. That's why even as a church, when we talk about our mission, we've really tried to boil it down. We try to get it to six words that we could remember because when we can remember it, then it connects dots to our lives. Rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. And for those of us who really struggle, six is a lot. It's just two. Rooted in reaching. Simplistic things that remind us of essential truths, or in this case, our essential mission. Simple things are good things to use as reminders. Let's see how the psalm begins. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I don't know if you noticed, but when we read through those first four verses, four times the psalmist calls God by name. Have you ever been done that? You ever been in a conversation with somebody, and as they're talking to you, they keep using your name? Now, it's just you and them. So you're kind of like, now, wait a second. I'm pretty sure you meant that for me. Why do you keep saying Todd? Well, it's for emphasis, and it's for attention. The psalmist is saying, God, I'm not just talking to the sky. God, I'm not just pinning words that I don't expect anyone to respond to. Lord, Lord, do I have your attention? Because I need you desperately. Look at the situation of what he needs. He's calling upon God to be attentive in the midst of his plight. And he moves to the reason why is he in despair. It's due to mounted sinfulness. He recognizes that there's a problem in the relationship. His relationship with God is broken, and he knows why. Because of me. Because of me. What he had, what the psalmist had was the law. The first five books of our Bible contained the law and the sequence of all of these rules. And what we realize, I know for me, I didn't get it for the longest time, but then you reread the book of Galatians. And as you read Galatians, you would realize what every Jewish follower of, of Yahweh knew. I can't be good enough. There is no way that I can be right with God because I keep failing. They all knew it. I didn't understand it as a kid growing up. I thought, well, that's what the measure we're trying to all attain to. Galatians says, God gave the law to bubble up the truth that you are not right with him. But the great news is I'm going to send my son and he will make all things new. And he will provide what you need to be in alignment with me. So this is what this psalmist is crying out for. God, I am wrong with you. I'm out of alignment. I'm not righteous. Right with you, I need help. Now remember that the psalmist penned the words on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb. So really what the psalmist was writing about were two things, the immediacy of a sacrificial system. This is all that they could look to, was something that would cover, that would place a band-aid on the cancer of their sin. That's all the sacrificial system could do. God ordained it. They were being obedient, but they knew there was something wrong. They knew there was something not yet complete about their problem. 
It would be on the other side of the cross. Jesus comes. And as Jesus comes and he says that he was the sacrificial, the spotless lamb of God who what? Who takes away, not who it says who covers up, but who takes away the sin of the world. Provides true forgiveness, true understanding that we can be right with God. And like we said earlier today, when we were receiving communion, it's not because of things we could do to earn it. It never was. But it's simply about a God who says, I love you. I will do what it takes to be right. Even though you're the one who violated me, I will do what it takes to be right with you. And what is your job? What is your response to that? Receiving it. Responding to it. You can know, you can experience true, rich, profound forgiveness. Forgiveness from your sin because of what Jesus did on your behalf. And like Hilke said last week as we were walking through Psalm 51, not only in our confession to God of our sin, we can actually know what it is to be cleansed. We can know what it is to no longer live in condemnation. We can know what it is to then be transformed so that we might be a people who in turn would actually be able to serve a God who rightfully has wrath on our head. What a, what a crazy idea to wrap our heads around. This phrase, even in the psalm we read, so that we, in reverence, can serve him. These next words are that powerful and profound image I told you about earlier, how the psalmist decidedly, he makes an intentional choice, watch this, to eagerly, desperately wait for God. Those words never go together. Eagerly, desperately do something about it eagerly, desperately throw my hands into the mix and try to fix it, but never eager, desperately wait. That's what we're going to see. The image is profound. Look what he says, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word, in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen Wait for the morning. Both of the images we're looking at today are repeated like that. And just like we said a few verses ago, Lord, 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 do I have your attention? Repetition is used with purpose. The psalmist wants you to connect this dot. Here's the big problem. We hate to wait. We are the worst. And let me say this. Without any apologies, without any nuances, we are the worst generation in all of time. I can say that without flinching because I know it's true. Nobody has ever sat there frustrated that my phone won't get to the spot where it needs to be on time. It's taking three seconds. It's fascinating that we live in an age where everything is so available so quickly, yet our frustration's never been more. We live our culture, and we've become so much a part of it. Our culture can't even understand. Like, if, if you were to see someone 
in, in your life that actually could wait patiently as a character trait. Not I'm saying one time in the supermarket line. You know, and not do the thing that I do, right? When I walk up, there's only three lanes that are open and I'm considering who's gonna get done first, who's got more in the cart, who looks like they're gonna talk longer to that person and I don't wanna be in that line, I wanna be in the expressway and I'm wondering if that other clerk's gonna come up from behind so I can get in line first. How much incredible emotional and mental energy is used to try not to wait? I wonder if that's the reason I'm just so tired. <laughs> trying to strategize so I don't have to wait so much. Wait so then I can just do more things. Fill up my calendar, have less margin than I had yesterday. Look at these realities. Look at how it plays out. What would someone do in your relational world if they saw someone who actually knew how to wait? Not just once in a while, but as a character trait, they were a person you would call, you would typify as patient. They don't have a box for that. They don't know anyone like that. You don't know anyone like that because we're always in a hurry. Here's some of the types of waiting that especially drives us nuts. Some of the types that we just really can't seem to cope well with. And by the way, I've been really interested in this subject. I was excited to teach today on these Psalms because waiting has really been on my mind for a long time. Probably over the last five years, I've been having this kind of going back and forth. Like, God, if I ever wrote a book, that would be a great book to write, number one, because none of them exist. And number two, because there's such a need for us to understand how to wait well. I'm just waiting to have a chance to start. <laughs> you knew, that was a softball. You knew I was going there. <clears throat> Let me tell you about some of the types of waiting that we really are frustrated by. Number one, the first type is forced waiting. Forced waiting, that's any waiting you do at the DMV. <laughs> that's what I call forced waiting. They, they have all the things you want and you'll wait to get it, okay? A second type of waiting that really frustrates us is flawed waiting. <laughs> Flood waiting. It's when you're at the DMV and you're waiting in the wrong line. <laughs> and then an hour later, they, oh, I'm so sorry, it was over there. Smoke is coming out of here. Forced waiting, flawed waiting, and futile waiting. Futile waiting is when you've been at the DMV for, why is every example about waiting at the DMV? <laughs> you know why. You know why. I don't even need to explain. You've been waiting for two hours. You haven't even gotten inside the door. You started at three. It's now becoming five o'clock, and the guy comes out and tells you, by the way, you were going to close before you get in today. Force waiting, flawed waiting, futile waiting drives us bananas. But let me throw this out to you. What do we do with the fact that 17 times in the very Bible you have in front of you, 17 times it says that we are to wait on the Lord. What are we supposed to do with that? Now, I'll, I'll give you this. Waiting on the Lord is different than waiting on the DMV. The Lord takes a lot longer. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. His timing is very different than ours. So, so how are we, how are we as we are a people who says, God, everything you said is true. Everything you have in your word for us is not just good uh, tips. It's, it's meant to be. It's given with authority. We are to live by it. How am I to learn to wait well? 
And I want to give you three types of waiting that actually I think we can begin to embrace better. Maybe some of you are doing great at this. The rest of us, we have a long way to go. Here's the first type in your notes is purposeful waiting. Purposeful waiting. And that, that's you as an oxymoron. <laughs> you only wait because you have to. There is no purpose of waiting. Well, let me tell you about a time it actually worked for me. Like it, I saw it vividly. With the other church team that I worked with, we did a staff event. And at this event, we went to, have you ever been to the K1 racing, race carts, you know, that are indoors and everything? Really fun. They go really fast. It's not like your typical go-kart thing. And so we did a, a, a round to get qualified, and then we we're going to do a 16-lap race. There's like 12 cars. I'm real competitive, so I thought this would be really fun. And so right out of the gate, I think this happened, I saw the news this morning at NASCAR yesterday, a huge pileup towards the beginning of the race, and it took out half the group. Well, that's what happened in our race. We took off in this 16-lap race. One guy was ahead of the, the pileup, but everyone just kind of jammed up at the first turn except for my friend George, and then I went in behind him. But everyone behind us was a mess, right? They're backing up, they're trying, I mean, in race terms, backing up is never a good idea, okay? <laughs> so, so this guy, Jeff, is way out in front. Nobody's gonna catch Jeff, but then George and I are right behind each other, and as we're kind of going through the first lap, I'm thinking, I know these cars a little bit, and I know I'll never pass him on a straightaway because we have the same amount of power, but what I'm gonna have to do is wait operative word, wait behind George and wait for him to make a mistake. So for the next 13 laps, that's what we did. Remember, it's a 16-lap race. We're on lap 14. And as we're on lap 14, we're, and I've just been on his tail the whole time. There's never been an opening. There's never been an opportunity. I realized later that's a really tough way to drive when you're always looking over your shoulder. So as we're racing, he kind of takes one curve a little wide, and I, I knife in between him and the, the rail, and then I just take it, and I end up winning. Now, winning, I got second place, but I beat George, who's a total NASCAR fan. <laughs> that had to be like his worst day ever, because he got beat by Todd, you know? I'm like, I don't care, you know? So we get there, and I was so stoked, because I beat George, the race car guy, you know? It was great. And I realized later on that that, that strategy was really the best strategy, but it in involved highly the idea of waiting. There are people in your relational world that you care so much about. People you are praying for, they're on your list, you pray for them daily. People that you are uh, talking to, inviting, connecting, you, you so badly want them to know the Jesus that you love, but at this point they're not interested. You have a lot of answers for questions they're not asking. So what do you do? You purposefully wait. You purposefully wait, you pray, you love, you engage, and you wait until they are interested in wanting to know this Jesus you love so much. That's a very strategic, very thoughtful, I think very biblical way of waiting for what God might be doing in someone's life. Secondly, contented waiting. Contented waiting. This would be an example. It's like waiting to have an important conversation with my wife, Joanna. Let's say that in the morning, a, a, a topic that's really important to me, it, it might be semi-important, but it's really important to me, and she says, you know, Todd, we're running out the door, um, can we talk about this when we both get home? And, and I can hear her say that, and I can say, you got it, we'll, we'll just put this on pause and get to it when we get back today. Now, because Joanna in her character is so trustworthy, 
And because I know that when she says something like that, she means it. She's not just going to punt it. She's not going to keep kicking it down the field. When we get home, we'll have the conversation all day long. During those eight hours, I don't have to stew. I don't have to get frustrated. I don't have to form all of my opinions and my comments. I don't have to get mad because I know she's... No. When we get home, she's going to say, Now, Todd, that thing you want to talk about this morning, where did we leave it off? I can wait contentedly because I know she's good for it. Look at the, the comment there. Are we leaning into God's trustworthiness, leaning into his faithfulness, believing that he's good for what he's promised? By the way, how do you know what God has promised unless you get in his word? I appreciated after first service, a gentleman came up to me and he said, you know, Todd, I loved what you shared, but I think you missed that a little bit. That, that needs, that, and he was so right. He was very kind, he wasn't critical, but he was really right. In your word, I put my hope. We're not blindly believing God for things because we have a book that's sitting right in front of you that is full of understanding his character, full of understanding his ways, full of understanding him in such a way that we know he's trustworthy, that we know we can believe in what he tells us. Thirdly, eager waiting. It's a kind of waiting, waiting for a surgery that you know is going to bring healing. You're not excited about that, but you're excited about the result. You're excited of what it's going to mean. You know the rehab is going to be tough, but you know that it's going to be worth it. That kind of waiting, that kind of eager anticipation. In your notes, it's the kind of waiting we demonstrate when we long for heaven, where we'll be reunited, we'll be united with Jesus and with his people forever. That's the kind of eager waiting that we do knowing that God's good for it, knowing that what he's promised us is sure. And here's the point in your notes. When it comes to trusting God, wait well. When it comes to trusting God, wait well. See how the psalmist puts this, not in a perfunctory or peripheral way, but with his whole being. I mean, look at the way he's waiting. He talks about this idea that in God, in God's word, I put my hope. It's not just the idea of having positive thoughts or happy vibes of how he lives. He knows, God, your word is sure. It's an anchor. I can connect to it. And upon those things, that's what I'm going to hold on to. I want you to see the depth of the psalmist waiting in desperation, anticipation. It captivates all of who he is, his senses, his thoughts, his feelings. All of it is connected. I want you to think of the last time that you were desperately waiting for something. I mean, get into these shoes for a minute. Your watchman shift might have started about 10 o'clock at night and go till 6 in the morning. Eight hours of waiting. Now, it's not eight hours while you're doing other stuff. The watchmen that protected the city would sit at uh, uh, perspicuous places where they could look out and make sure no army of attack was coming near the city. If there were, they could sound the alarm, but if they're asleep in their bed like everybody else, they get attacked without warning. So the watchman's role was completely essential to their safety as a people. But in doing so, just imagine, you start that shift. I know me. I don't have to start that shift at 10 o'clock. I go, okay. Caffeinated up, ready to go, ready to kind of wait through the night. You know, got my other buddy over there who's just like, I can't talk to him, but I know we're far enough we could signal each other. That's about the best. And I'm not supposed to go anywhere. I'm supposed to have my trajectory. And I just know at about 10, 15, 
I'm already getting tired. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a horrible night. Because I have to wait. And I have to be alert. More than watchmen wait for the morning. God, does my soul long after you? I want you to think about this. Think about a time in your notes, how you might fill in this blank differently than the psalmist did, meaning you are desperately, eagerly waiting for something. You are waiting to hear about the job. You are waiting about the relationship. You are waiting for situations to get better. Fill in the blank, and I know whatever you would say, it would be important. I know that whatever you would put in that blank would be an incredibly important thing. That's not the question, but I want you to see this. We all have things that we have put in that blank. I wait for more than watchmen wait for the morning. And here's what the word of God is saying to us today. Not by any means to make you feel guilty or ashamed that you didn't wait for the most important thing. But I want you just to see by way of comparison Anything that I am longing desperately for that isn't by the name of Jesus is still ultimately going to fail. Even when it's accomplished, even when it's realized. I simply say today in the terms of the comparisons, the psalmist got it right. God, let me desperately, eagerly wait for you. Attach my hope to you, attach my dreams to you, attach my longing to you, knowing anything less at the end of the day still will not meet this deep need I have. God has offered you, offered you this great sense of salvation, of forgiveness, of relationship, of knowledge, all found in his son. Paul, I think he really understood these words well in 2 Corinthians 5. This is what he wrote, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. So he's talking about this hope of heaven. But look at his next words. Meanwhile, we groan. Meanwhile, we wait deeply, desperately, eagerly. Longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Watch this, so that what is mortal may be clothed, may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. God's built us for this. Who has given the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing you can take it to the bank. What is to come? Therefore, we are always confident, and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are home in the body or away from it. Look how the psalm concludes, chapter 130, verse 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The psalmist moves from a personal eager anticipation to now talking to the community, talking to his people. And he urges them in the same way that he's desperately longing for God. He's telling his people, put your hope in him. Trust in who this God is and put our well-being in his lap. 
With him is full redemption. Look at how he defines that. He says full redemption looks like this. He will redeem Israel from all their sins. I love this. In your notes, the Hebrew word for the word redeem in verse 8 is simply translated to deliver by any means. To deliver by any means. Here's what the psalmist understood. God, you are going to redeem Israel. You are going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to what? To fully cleanse us from our sins. He did not say he'll do whatever it takes for them to become a mighty military power. He did not say he'd do whatever it takes for them to become an economic source of creating hordes of wealth. He did say God will do whatever it takes for what we truly need, and that is to be right with him, to atone, to cleanse our sins. And by the way, it would be a few hundred years, and God would absolutely complete that promise in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We read this psalm from the other side, and we know God is absolutely good for it. Look how the, he the author of Hebrews had this psalm in mind when he wrote about this from Hebrews 9. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not the one made with human hands, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Watch this. Thus obtaining eternal redemption. Same word. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them, cleanse them, so that what? They're outwardly clean. How much more than you want to see? Every time you see the Apostle Paul use that phrase, get excited. Good things are coming. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will, our, will he cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? Taking away our sin, why? So that we might serve the living God. That same phrase is used or something similar to it in Psalm 130. I want to close this way today. I want to just, I'm going to be so brief in Psalm 131, but I want you to see something powerful. That contented waiting I mentioned a minute ago. This is written by King David. Look what it says. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. There you see that double again. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. This simile is powerful. Here's basically what it's saying. And any of us who've raised kids, you know this. You have an infant. An infant who's still nursing, and all of a sudden, mom is out of the way. Mom can't be seen, and there's a hunger in the belly, and now it's the sense. Fear gives way to frustration, which becomes calamity. I'll never eat again. <laughs> Blah! You know, just craziness, you know? And it's kind of unhinged. And you're looking at this child, and you're going, God, how do, how do vocal cords and that little thing even make that much noise? Just absolute desperation. But David says, I'm not like that. I'm like a weaned child. A child who is no longer nursing and a child who understands by life experience that God keeps providing. Just as her mother, on a daily basis, makes sure that she's fed. And when she's hungry, she doesn't fall apart. That's the image, contented waiting. 
God, could I trust you that in this moment when you aren't showing up when I want you to, can I trust you like a weaned child and not a nursing one? In your notes, that's the question mark. How do you respond? Do you wait with the trust and contentment of a weaned child who knows that she can trust her mother for the future or like a nursing child who fears that there will never be another meal because his mother's not visible and he's not willing to wait? I found a commercial today in closing that I thought really connected this dot well. It's not so much about a child waiting to be fed, but in our first you know, world issues, it's a little bit more ap apropos to the things that we really stress out over. It's a baby whose phone doesn't have enough data. <laughs> Take a look. Network for smartphones for uninterrupted giggles. Right? You get it. That's the way you are too. Come on, load! So, simple question. We said earlier today, the people in your relational world, they don't really have a category in their life for people who live in patience. What would it be like? The people that you love, the people you're praying for, the people that you're concerned about, that you're doing life with and want to be an intentional influencer, what would it look like if those people saw you waiting, waiting in the contented mode of a weaned child, not a nursing one? I have a feeling that would speak volumes because they've never seen it before. This week, here's our now what idea. What are we about as we leave here? Put your hope in God while you trust him in your waiting. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who simply say thank you. We've seen it all throughout our time together today that we are lost apart from you. We desperately need your forgiveness, your mercy. And so today we come as a people and we say thank you not only for going ahead of us, creating a way through Jesus for us to be right with you. But God, now that we are in this place, like 2 Corinthians talked about, we have a home. We're just not there yet. In the middle of this time, in this space, God, help us to live as people who are like the contented child, the, the weaned child, who don't have to fall apart because you don't deliver when we think you should. But we can wait on you. We love you. Thank you so much. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our worship core team has gone to a lot of work to really think creatively and thoughtfully about this particular series. And one of those was just being very thoughtful about some words that you will recognize as you listen to the melodies. Our friend Natasha is here to play, It Is Well With My Soul.
Thank you, Natasha, for sharing that, that music with us this morning. Um, guys, we're going we're gonna to sing a few more songs to close our service. And uh, on this first song, we're going to receive the offering. So if the ushers would like to make their way forward. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, please don't feel any obligation to give and just be our guest. And uh, let's sing a song that just is a prayer to God that's saying no matter what we're going through, that we're going to look to you, keep our eyes on you.
Lord, we thank you that we could sing these songs, Lord, and trust who you are, God. Thank you that we could sing these songs and lift up these words to you, knowing, Lord, that you've come through so often in our lives and that we can continue to trust you to come through again, Lord. Lord, may we not put our trust in anything else besides you, Lord. Lord, no matter what we're going through, may we be able to look to you and say, it is well with my soul, because we know we are saved and we are loved. And uh, you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, God. So may we trust in that. May we walk in that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been a pleasure worshiping with you. And I want to remind you before you leave, if, uh, if you'd like prayer up front, we'll have people who'd love to pray with you. But uh, go and have a blessed Sunday. This grace that makes no sense.